0: We're going to move into Daniel chapter 6. Daniel 6 is one of the most famous chapters in the whole Bible, certainly in the book of Daniel, in the Old Testament, but really the whole Bible. It's a story that most people have heard. We're going to spend 2 weeks on it. This morning I'm going to be laying the foundation in the first parts of what really happened. And the reason is because these stories that are so powerful that our children begin to learn sometimes are fixed in our minds in ways that as they grow aren't really that helpful. Um, They just become another great story or metaphor. That's not what this is. This is an amazing account of a man whose reputation was so pure and right because of the spirit of God in him that it put him in an amazing position of leadership. And then there is envy from others in leadership with him who want him destroyed because they do not want him to become the second most powerful man in the kingdom, which is about to happen. We're going to spend our time in Daniel 6, 1 through 10, looking at the miracle before the miracle of the lion's den. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to begin at verse 1 in Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground of complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated next Sunday. We will be remembering the persecuted church. That will be something that happens throughout the capital C church. From the beginning of time, the church has been persecuted and it will continue to be persecuted. For us, we have escaped a lot of what is happening in other parts of the world, but it's coming too. If you have a Bible that's translated into English that you could read at any time, you owe God praise specifically for a man named William Tyndale. When William Tyndale was in England at the time of the Reformation, we don't know if he and Martin Luther ever met, but he certainly was one who pushed Martin Luther's theology forward. He was a proponent of the same doctrine that Martin Luther held to. Stephen Vaughan was an English merchant who was commissioned by Thomas Cromwell. Cromwell was the king, Henry VIII, he was his advisor. And he was commissioned to find William Tyndale. William Tyndale had gone into exile because he wanted to translate the Bible into English from the original languages of Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. But King Henry VIII would not allow it. Thomas More, who was the Lord Chancellor who helped Henry VIII write his repudiation against Luther, hated Martin Luther. And therefore, he hated William Tyndale he was a Catholic bishop in that area. Vaughan wrote about Tyndale back to Cromwell. On June 19, 1531, this is what Stephen Vaughan wrote I find him always singing one note. Well, what was that note? It was this from Tyndale Will the King of England? give his official endorsement to a vernacular Bible for all his English subjects. If not, Tyndale would not come. If so, Tyndale would give himself up to the king and never write another book. In fact, he said, I won't write anything in the Bible. There will be no notes because they knew the notes would favor Luther. He just simply wanted to translate the Bible from the original languages into English so that all who speak and read English would have the Bible. So if you have the ability to read and speak English and read English Bible, you owe God praise in what he did through William Tyndale. The king refused. He was in exile for 12 years until he was then captured and burned at the stake. Hundreds of others were also killed who would take the pieces of the translation as he was working on it in exile to English-speaking subjects. They died so that you and I could have the word of God. The driving passion of Tyndale's life, that one note that he was always singing, was, let me translate the Bible into English. What is your driving passion? What is your one note? No question that when Tyndale, Luther, Calvin, others were confronted and their life threatened, no question that they would not have looked back on a section like this in Daniel 6 to receive comfort and inspiration and courage from those who had gone before, who had suffered a very similar reality. Daniel is a powerful man. He has been given incredible authority because of his reputation. His reputation is so great that the King Darius, and by the way, it's no longer Nebuchadnezzar. King Darius has said he'll be one of the three Leaders amongst all the others. And then above the three, he will become the one. In other words, next to me, King Darius, Daniel will be the most powerful man in the kingdom. Those who are also part of that leadership have envy, they have jealousy. They don't want Daniel to have that role. So Daniel has his life investigated. They are looking for anything that they can use against him. And they can find nothing. Now, this is important to remember. He's not a perfect man. He's a fallen man just like us. He's a sinner. There was only one perfect man. That was Christ. But Daniel's witness, his reputation before all these others was above reproach. What a great place to pause and ask that about our own lives. If others were to investigate our finances, our business transactions, Our leadership, our habits, our passions, our play, would they be able to find anything? He's a man. And as they looked at him in leadership, they could find no faults. So what did they do? They looked at another part of his reputation, which was this he will not stop worshiping his God. So if we want him to be displaced from this office, We're going to have to use that part of his life, that part of his reputation to bring him down. They say so in verse five. These men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Can that be said of you? Can your love, fidelity, and devotion to the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Can it be seen as so great that others would say, if we want to set them up, we've got to ask them not to be faithful to their God. We've got to put before them this crisis that they cannot remain faithful to their God and faithful to the King. They cannot remain faithful to their God and hold the position that they have. If we present this, then we know what he will do. He's going to choose to worship his God. And if he chooses to worship his God, the king must throw him in the lion's den. And that's what happens. It's also important to note that Daniel's not a young man. It's very possible that you're thinking of him still as that teenager, now maybe a mid-20s. He's not. He's in his mid to late 80s. Seven decades have passed since he was brought into Babylon. And his life has been a faithful witness to God. He's received favor. He has power. So when he hears about this injunction, there's a lot at stake. His work, his security, ultimately his life. He knows that the king, Darius, must be faithful to the injunction that he has signed. So what will he do? What would you do? What would you encourage your children to do? This is really important for us because while some of you will probably see Jesus before this kind of persecution comes to this church, it's going to come sooner than you think. And how we respond to it, frankly, will be determined by how we're living our life right now. And you can see that in the last part of verse 10. We've looked a little bit at Daniel's reputation, but now let's look at his response. Go with me to verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, now this is important. When all those leaders went to Darius, they said, we've all gathered together. Three times it says that, but Daniel was never there. Daniel hears about it though, and he knows that the document has been signed. If he knows it's been signed, he knows what it says. So it says that Daniel went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. This is the miracle before the miracle. You see, Daniel, when confronted with the injunction, doesn't waver. The miracle is that he simply just moves towards doing what he always had done. He's going to pray anyways. He's going to pray anyway, because he always has. How you're going to respond to this kind of persecution is going to have a lot to do with what you're doing now. Would you pray anyway? If that's not what you're already doing, I don't think you should have very much confidence. Daniel gives us this line. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Why? You know, today I think a lot of people would have said, you know, Daniel, you have an amazing position, you have had incredible influence over the last seven decades it's just for 30 days. It's just for 30 days. Don't, don't pray like you normally do for 30 days. You can still pray. Just don't move your mouth. Don't close your eyes. Don't bow knees. But you see, here's the problem. The first commandment was at stake. Thou shall have no other gods before me. That's what was at stake. That's why they said we must bring his law against him to create that crisis of belief. But for Daniel, it wasn't a crisis of belief because it's what he always did. And because it's what he always did, he was going to pray anyway. So friend, we must go before the Lord constantly and ask him, are there any other gods in my life that I would be willing to put before you. Daniel was giving up security. He was giving up authority. I'm sure there was financial privileges that he had. Ultimately, he was giving up his life because he was willing because of his love for God. He was willing because he believed that God is who he says he is. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul speaking to Timothy begins to talk about the last days. Now he's writing this 2,000 years ago and I don't think he was imagining that Christ would not have returned at this point. The Reformation was 500 years ago. Christ still hasn't come. We don't know if we're in the early part of the church still. And it's thousands of years away, or if it could, he could come at any time. But listen to how Paul describes what will happen when the end times draw near. If it was true 2000 years ago, true 500 years ago, it's true today. So listen, because this is what we're up against. Paul writes to Timothy, but understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be, now listen to this long list. It's very powerful. People will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Do you love money? Do you love self? These are really important questions, not for you to answer quickly, but before the living God. He speaks a lot about these things, doesn't he, in his word, because he knows the power of them to grip us. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. What a word for the Bible Belt. This is what we're up against. And it's not out there. It's in here. And when we become confronted with the temptations that we face as this, war wage, as this world wages war against our souls, we desperately need God's grace, the generous work of the Holy Spirit reminding us of the gracious righteousness of Christ has gift to us. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit, how would we be responding to a challenge like this? How would we be giving wisdom to our children when I promise you they are going to not get jobs or lose jobs or not get promotions because they are connected to a church like this. And there will be employers and there will be educators and there will be friends and there will be neighbors who will be able to find out where they belong what they do on Sunday. And once that's revealed, they may lose all of this earthly security. Is our counsel to them going to be, trust the Lord and do what you have always done? Pray anyway. The test of whether or not we're ready is centered on what we have been doing previously. The reason Daniel, even though he knew the injunction and he knew what would come, went and prayed anyway, is because that's what he did. That was his usual reality. This is important. All the temptations listed in 2 Timothy 2 are coming at us you're not above it. Love of self, there's a reason it's listed first. Love of money, there's a reason it's at the top. There's not a person in here, not a person that you see that is not going to be tempted to put their security in insecure things, to begin to love money. It is powerful. But to think one day I won't, To think one day I'll think rightly about money or about the way I should view myself is dangerous. And here's why. God said, honor the Lord with all of your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So many times I think people live in the mindset of, I'll do that one day one day when I get a better job, one day when we have enough save for our children's college, one day when the evidence of how we would respond to a charge like this is centered on what we're doing right now, previously. How are we responding to the clear call of God's word? And so it's this simple. God, is there any idol anything, any person, any position, any pleasure that I'm willing to put before you. Daniel, long before he was settled into the lion's den, had already made his decision. I'm not going to compromise the first commandment. Bless you. I'm not going to compromise that first commandment. And you know what? Everyone knew it and he didn't. This is a dangerous sermon because you could leave here today saying, I need to go be like Daniel. And that's actually true. The point is you and I cannot apart from Christ. And so the application is that we look to Jesus and rest in Christ. And we say, by your grace and for your glory, would you make me the kind of man who would experience the miracle of already making the decision? Would you make us a body full of women and men who've already made the decision? I'm not going to put anything ahead of God. And when God reveals those things that are there, and you and I repent of those things, We're experiencing the spirit of God, the same spirit that was in Daniel's life in our life. The reputation of this church, of you as a member or friend, of the church capital C, is going to be full of women and men and children who are going to be forced to make that decision in Christ by the power of his spirit. May the reputation be, I always pray. I'm going to pray anyway. This is what I've done previously, and I'm not going to stop father in heaven. It's simply not enough for us to leave saying, I need to be like Daniel. It's far greater for us to live in the victory that is ours already in Christ. His death, his resurrection, his reign, his promised return. So Father, as we wrestle with what we have heard, as we see the powerful response of Daniel against these amazing authorities, as we come into the story next week where he's with the lions, Help us to see that it's the same God that we're worshiping today. It's the same victory that we have in the one who is all-powerful. So, Lord, as we close this service, singing the very words that Martin Luther wrote about the victory that is ours in Christ and this kingdom is forever, do your work in us. Open our eyes to our blindness. Help us to see. Father, I'm reminded that William Tyndale's last words were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. I pray that you would open ours and we would behold your glory and live for you all the days of our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.